All right, we are live talking UFC 263 in the books. Uh, another interesting night. I have done three of these since my uh, employment status changed. And in all three of them, someone's body has been mangled terribly and perhaps uh, just irreplaceably. Uh, um, so interesting that we're three for three on the, I was going to say broken bone uh, category, I guess technically that's incorrect, as it was just a severe dislocation, which doesn't sound better, but uh, they, they made it seem on the broadcast tonight like it was. So uh, great that Jamal Hill's elbow didn't completely snap in half and only dislocated severely. So yes, welcome to uh, UFC 263 Breakdown on Twitch, um, or if you are listening later, on a podcast. Uh, we are going to, on the Twitch stream, going to continue our run with one Chris Jericho for the, I believe we're going for the lightweight championship. Oh no, the hardcore championship, right, because he is a hardcore legend. Um, after, um, what was it, double or nothing. So yes, we will continue that while we break down uh, a pretty noteworthy night of fights. And I, I said coming into this night that it, I was, I was excited to see where we were going to go from this night because you, you have obviously a, a couple of title fights. So that tends to change things rather quickly, but you also have a couple of fights with guys trying to establish themselves. And I found that part of the night really, really interesting. I'm uh, not going to go through the whole card here because your boy had some trouble with the streaming tonight. Um, I am, I am not the biggest fan of TSN Direct uh, this evening. That was a rather frustrating experience. But uh, as far as the pay-per-view goes, unless I ordered it three times, like it kind of felt like I did on the website, um, it, I should have had a, a rather pleasant viewing experience. In the main event, Israel Adesanya retains the UFC's middleweight championship 50-45s across the board, and you would have had to try really, really hard to convince yourself that any of those rounds didn't go to Israel Adesanya. Um, and I, I think the big story coming out of this one is a Israel Adesanya is really fucking good. Like that, that's that, that is very, very apparent as he proclaimed tonight, he is the fucking King and at middleweight, it is tough to argue. And the thing that I think should be scary to some people at this division or at this weight class is he's getting better. And that was the thing that I, I really took from this night is that we know the striking is elite. We, we, we have a, a general understanding of this, right? Like we, we know the whole kickboxing thing. He used to be a kickboxer at the highest level of the sport. So we know he's got that thing down. The issue coming out of the Jan Blachowicz fight was, okay, how is the takedown defense? And when you get taken down, what do you do? And how do you get up? And he did that exceptionally well tonight um a couple of times he gives up his back a little bit but you kind of have to do that to I mean, kind of break a couple of legs to make an omelet sort of a thing um I, I I was so impressed so 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 impressed with Adesanya's ability to to get up like it, it is very clear that he has worked on this going into this fight and coming out of that Blahovitz fight, it was a clear and obvious weakness for him. And th there was obviously work done on this and obvious improvement done in this area. 
And uh, I think if you are Israel Adesanya and an Israel Adesanya fan, uh, I think you have to be thrilled with that performance. For Marvin Vittori, obviously a frustrating night. Um, he had convinced himself that he should have won the last fight with Israel Adesanya, which is factually incorrect. But whatever floats your boat, man. And in this fight, he just wasn't close. Um, he, he gets a bit of a threat. I believe it was the second or third round where he gets a takedown, takes Israel Adesanya's back. And for a second, it looks like he is going to, to potentially get a choke out and he still ends up losing the round. Do you know how tough it is to still lose a round when you've taken someone's back and had at least a glimmer of a near submission, but that's what happened because Israel Adesanya was just that good on this night. Um, just completely styled on him on the feet, uh, no pun intended with the, the style bender nickname. His distance control has always been exceptional, and you saw it on that moment in the first round on the fence. His head movement is fantastic. The kicks were great, and you could see once he kind of understood, oh, I can get up from these takedown attempts, those leg kicks really started digging. And he started getting more and more creative when it came to his use of kicks. And you saw him mix in a few more head kicks as well. And then at that point, like, it's just, it's over. You are just, you are not going to have a successful night against a confident um, Israel Adesanya. And Vittori just doesn't have, like, the, the, the common refrain is, he doesn't have the tools in the toolbox. And I thought that was pretty clear. Like, the, the standing is very rigid and very... It, he just, it wasn't even close. Like, he is a couple leagues behind. Um, he's a couple leagues behind Israel Adesanya when it comes to the stand-up. And most people are. That, that, is not, that is not to suggest that Vittori can't get better, but when you're just trying to charge in straight in, straight out, with a couple straight punches, one, two, and then hope for a takedown, that's just not going to work. And we now see, with Israel Adesanya, um, we now see that he is someone who, if you get a takedown, he can just pop up. And that is a very scary thought for anyone in the middleweight division. As far as what's next, um, you see him... Oh, good. It's a 20 count. Um, you, you see him call out Robert Whitaker after. Um, I, I believe the exact turn of phrase was that other cunt. Um, and, jeez, I might even have to beep that one out of my own show. Um, but... That, that would be such an exciting fight if that is, in fact, the next bout for Israel Adesanya. But that we're, we're basically at this point now. Guys who he has knocked out, Israel Adesanya is going to be fighting again. But look, he, he is fighting in the same division as someone who is on the MMA Mount Rushmore. So greatest of all time status in the middleweight division is a tricky one to get. For uh, for Israel Adesanya, but he is one of the best fighters in the world right now, and he proved it again on this night. In the night's co-main event at 125 pounds, the flyweight title that we thought was dead many years ago um, has now come back to life, and it is the first time a Mexican-born fighter has held a championship in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. As Brandon Reynolds pulls off the upset, he finishes the show with a choke victory, a submission victory by choke in the third round. Just a really, really impressive showing. Um, and I, I said on Twitter, the thing that I took away from this fight the most is how much of a difference the confidence of Brandon Moreno made on this fight. Because he looked like a completely different fighter going into the cage than he did back in December um, against Davison Figueredo. And in fairness, Figueredo looked like a completely different fighter from that one as well on the, the negative side of things. And I'll get to that in a second. But for Moreno, there was a confidence with him. He, he wasn't, not that he was like 
apologizing every time he threw a punch in his last fight, but th there was just a, a swagger to him and a bit more sitting down on his punches and like, I belong in this spot. I deserve to be in a title fight. And now they, they were kind of talking about his story a little bit on the broadcast. You go from being the 16 seed on the Ultimate Fighter to being cut by the promotion to coming back in, having a fight of the year, at least runner up, in 2020, and now you are the flyweight champion. Uh, an incredible story. I I emotional at after the fact. And look, if, if they have a rematch, I might pick Figueredo again. I, I do not think Figueredo was fighting to his full capacity on this night, but you cannot take away from this moment for Brandon Moreno. That, that is another conversation for another day. Moreno was excellent. And if they want to roll this one back a third time... Uh, Give her a go. I, I have no problem watching, I, I guess we would be in the ninth round when these two get back at it. Um, but yeah, we can talk about what's next a little bit later for Brandon Moreno. Tonight is about celebrating for him. As far as Figueredo goes, I really did not like what I saw from him. And I thought coming in, he had to understand that he wasn't going to just knock out um, Brandon Moreno. That much you knew going in based off of how that last fight went. And I thought, okay, if you pace yourself then you have an opportunity here. The problem is, and we see this with fighters a few times, oh, well, I'm going to, you know, it's a it's an eight-round fight instead of a six-round fight, so I'm going to pace myself. And that generally just means I'm not going to do a fucking thing for two rounds, and then I'm going to fight a six-round fight. And that's just not how that works. You never felt the killer instinct for Brandon Moreno on this, or um, for Davison Figueredo. He, he just, he never... He never really looked like himself. He wasn't the attacking fighter that we are very used to from him. It was a very timid start. And it was kind of, it was one of those things we talk about in hockey a little bit, where you are worried that if you try to get an aggressive player, think of, for Flames fans, think of Matthew Kachuk, where he is going out there, he is in everyone's face, Jake Muzzin tosses a puck at him, he raises all kinds of hell, and then apparently there is a team meeting saying, hey, dipshit, don't do that, which is the dumbest fucking thing, but that's another podcast for another day, and Matthew Kachuk tones it down, but in the process, tones down the things that he is effective at. Davis and Figueredo did the same thing. Where, okay, I'm not going to go headhunting, I'm not going to go crazy, but that's the only way this cat knows how to fight. And so that took away all the positive things for Davis and Figueredo, and he didn't, he doesn't know how to fight that style. And you could, that, that could be a fault of a training camp, and hey, maybe learn how to fight that. But I, I wonder how differently he would approach this one going into a, a third fight if they were to have a, a trilogy bout. Um, I'd be interested to see how that goes, and I'm just interested to see how Figueroa handles this type of a setback because that, that was not him in the cage on this night, and it, it really shows, and it ends up eventually costing him the UFC's flyweight championship. In the first ever five-round non-main event, non-title fight, in the Ultimate Fighting Championship's long, illustrious history, Nate Diaz takes on Leon Edwards, and Leon Edwards wins 24 minutes of this fight before Nate Diaz lands a beautiful 1-2 combination right down the middle, and Leon Edwards was not of this planet for a few moments. Uh, the Brit ends up surviving, and he gets the unanimous decision win, but holy hell, was that tense for a few moments. Um, we have 
Jordan, I, I'm, I'm sure they still call you Jordan the web guy. You are not my web guy anymore, so now you are just relegated to simply Jordan status. He's asking who is next for Nate Diaz. And the, I, I would love to have a deep philosophical, oh, well, it should be da-da-da-da-da. The person who is next for Nate Diaz is whoever the fuck Nate Diaz wants to fight next. My hunch a, we likely get a Conor McGregor fight at some point in the extremely near future, but also I wonder if we get another Jorge Masvidal fight. Masvidal coming off of just a spectacularly violent knockout loss at the hands of Kamaru Usman. I wonder if that's the fight to make. I don't know how much Masvidal has left in the old markability tank, and th this is a fight that you can make it as a rematch. Diaz can say, hey, you didn't beat me, and Masvidal can say, hey, I elbowed you to the point where no one recognized you and they had to stop the fight. That is a fun way of selling this bout. You can put the BMF title back on the line and I, I guess you could rematch to see who is the baddest motherfucker in the Ultimate Fighting Championship at 170 pounds, although Kamaru Usman may have something to say about that. So if I had a vote, that's where I would go next. I, I would say Diaz probably fights Masvidal and then probably fights Conor McGregor after that. But we've seen, like th this was Diaz's third fight since 2016. Didn't seem to lose a step. He wasn't awesome in this fight, but obviously that chin ain't going anywhere. Um, so no, I I, I think I, I think Diaz goes with Masvidal next. For Leon Edwards, if he goes out and pitches this shutout, then you can make a very compelling case for him as champion, and you still can. I just don't think the UFC is going to. I think it is going to be Kamaru Usman against Colby Covington next, and. I would like to say Leon Edwards gets the winner because he deserves it. We'll see. I don't know what it is. Excuse me. This guy is extremely talented and no one wants to fight him. Not one person apparently wants to scrap with this guy. Um, I mean, I get, I wouldn't want to fight him either, but I thought for, for Leon Edwards, this had the potential to be a star-making night, and it might still be, to be fair. Um, people are certainly going to remember him, but probably for not the best of reasons. Um, as that, again, that looked very close to him being finished. But I thought, if you are to ignore that last little bit where he is put on Dream Street for a matter of moments, then... A, a spectacular showing um, and a really, really well-rounded performance from Leon Edwards and someone who you can really see ha has come into his own as a martial artist, even though this is just his second fight since 2019 and his first fight since 2019 was three fucking months ago. So not even like, I know it might've been three months ago. I get March and May mixed up quite a bit, but um, I, I think that Edwards deserves a title shot next. If he has to go through one more fight to get there, I, I would be upset if I were him, but I, I just want to see this guy fight more. So let him fight more. Also on this card, you see Bilal Muhammad with a victory over uh, Damian Maya. Um, not a whole lot to say. Damian Maya was only going to do one thing. Bilal Muhammad was good at stopping that thing. And he ends up getting a unanimous decision win. Another one who should get a, a legit fight next. Not that Damian Maya isn't, but at this point, yeah, it, it's more of a name than anything. That, that, that was never going to be an overly impressive performance from Bilal Muhammad, but he did what he had, what he had to do. And now I, I would like to see him get a, a really fun fight at, um, at welterweight. Sorry. One of the interesting moments of the night comes as Paul Craig puts Jamal Hill, uh, Jamal Hill, sorry, his arm on sideways. 
And this is, again, like I said, the third UFC pay-per-view in a row where we get just an absolutely horrific break. Uh, it looked broken. It was just apparently uber disabled. Either way, or uh, dislocated, sorry. Um, either way, holy shit, that might have been one of the worst officiating jobs I've ever seen. This is this is going to get extremely specific. That was the worst officiating job I've ever seen that didn't result in a mass amount of brain damage being inflicted. And it still resulted in some, because uh, those elbows were absolutely unnecessary, and holy shit, if you get knocked out and your arm's dislocated, that is just the worst way to spend a Saturday night. Um, but Paul Craig... Credit to him for fucking a dude's arm up, feeling it dislocate, and then go, oh, well, now I need to elbow this human being in the brain. Um, that That is not a level that I imagine I get to in my life, but, I mean, that's that's the job in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. You, you gotta get in there and, and take care of business and hope the referee stops it. But yes, just absolutely egregious. You could see that arm was just flopping as the the elbows are landing. You 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 could watch it dislocate. Everyone on the planet watching that fight knew that arm was fucked and knew that that fight should have been stopped. Like, you go back to Frank Mir um, snapping Tim Sylvia's arm and you just see a bit of a poof and Herb Dean stops the fight. No one else watching that fight at the time knew that that arm was broken. And Herb Dean does a phenomenal job in stopping that fight. This was the opposite of that, where the entire gosh darn world saw that elbow was sitting sideways. And the ref was just like, hey man, he's still got one good arm, let's, let's keep this thing going. But yes, just what will be lost on this night is the ferocity that Paul Craig is able to finish this submission with uh, as my phone takes a dive. Um... Yeah, uh, Paul Craig, I, I I think what you take away from this fight is he's really good at grappling, and it, it's a bit of a derailing of the Jamal Hill hype train, but I'm sure he will bounce back once his arm fixes itself, and for Paul Craig, I, I would like to see, uh, again, just uh, another high-ranking opponent in, in the division. So, overall, it was a fun night. It, it was a, a really, really, really fun night, and... Um, Oh, there was one other thing I wanted to bring up with the, the Muhammad fight as I'm bouncing around. As I was going to say, as you can see, you can't. The camera's too high. But um, uh, doing this without notes because I don't want to mess up with any audio with pages turning and all of that sort of thing. Um, back on the Muhammad fight, I, I think that was a good example of maybe um, the need for change in some scoring criteria when it comes to mixed martial arts. Or at least, maybe not even the scoring criteria, just how we view rounds. Because Damian Maya is forcing Muhammad up on the cage with single leg takedown attempts and really pressuring him, and, but not doing a fucking thing with it. Um, uh, Tyler, we're playing this on N64. Sorry, can't see. N64 controller. Um, but he's not doing a damn thing with those takedown attempts. And Muhammad is defending each one of them. And so when you come to the end of the round, and the whole round isn't just takedown attempts, Muhammad is able to... Uh, Muhammad is able to, to get a couple of good punches in and lands the most impactful strikes of the round, but everyone just generally assumes Damian Maya takes the round because he's in control of where the fight is taking place. And while that is, I guess, somewhat true, when you look at it, yes, he is on the offensive the whole time. However, 
Muhammad is deciding where this fight is taking place because of how well he is able to defend in those positions. And, and so for me, when Maya goes for a single leg takedown and Muhammad defends, and then Maya has to transition to whether it be a trip or whether he tries for a, a double leg takedown, and you end up kind of bulking up Muhammad's takedown stats from that, Maya shouldn't get credit for that. And it's really frustrating for me. Be oh well, he's on the defensive, so he has to lose that round. It's like, does he? Because to me, he's winning every position in this fight and every position in this round, and thusly, I think should get credit for it. So I personally um, want to ah damn. Um, I personally went against that and and did give the round to Maya and then cursed myself out for for not. But I, I do think that's something we need to look at when it comes to to how we assess MMA fights and, and how we look at these rounds. Is oh well he's on the defensive the whole time. Okay, but sometimes good defend defending like it. The the scoring criteria is not offensive striking, grappling, and octagon control. It's effective. Striking, grappling, and octagon control. And you can say a lot of things about Damian Maya. Effective striking ain't it. And, like, he, he was literally grappling, but Bilal Muhammad was the effective grappler in that bout. So, I, I thought that was an interesting example uh, of that. Uh, another note that I, I just, I'm, I'm thinking of here. The Alexis Davis fight, as she ends up losing, um, I believe it was a, a unanimous decision. We saw this a little, there was another fight too. I, I'm I'm blanking on it, so I apologize. The the more coherent breakdown is coming on Monday. This is kind of a just after shooting the shit type of a, a breakdown. Um, but the the Alexis Davis fight. Oh, it was the the Ferez Uh I'm bouncing all over the place now. I apologize. But Alexis Davis, in the middle of the second round, decides, hey, you know what would be a great strategy? Kicking the shit out of this girl's calf, and she was right. The problem is. Something has to come after that. Like, you do slow down your opponent, and you can take advantage of it that way. And she would she was able to, to a certain extent, but not in any way that ends up winning her the fight. And we saw the same thing with uh, Ziam earlier in the night, where he's throwing this jab, and that's fantastic. And he was jabbing the shit out of him, and it, it, that was effective striking, uh, striking. And he was doing great with it. But I, I think the next evolution in this, and something we don't see enough in MMA... Something's got to follow that, like though, though, whether it be the investment in leg kicks early in a fight, or whether it be that jab, the, those are the starting points. And because, especially lower on the card, striking is not necessarily at the level that you would see at, on a, a glory kickboxing show or on a, a Showtime boxing or anything like that. Jabs and leg kicks are enough to, to potentially win you a fight, but only to a certain extent. And if the other fighter does something. Um, which Ziam ended up experiencing, Alexis Davis just ended up not being able to pull it off in time. Those aren't enough to just win it. So yes, the, the investment in late kicks is fine. A, if you're going to start it in the second round, it's too fucking late. But also, you have to be able to then take advantage of it. Like, the, the, it it's very much a step one, late kicks. Step two, I don't know. Step three, profit. You need to fill something in the middle that isn't just late kick, late kick, late kick. Well, now their mobility is limited. Okay, well, what am I going to do? Uh, I'll still fucking leg kick him, I guess. There needs to be something where you follow up off of that. And for Ziam, the, the next step for him, phenomenal jab and a, a very crisp, fluid striker. And who am I to tell a, a very good kickboxer what to do? But you saw the, the issues of that, where when you are controlling a fight by a jab, 
your margin for error is not great. If the other person does almost literally anything, it's gonna look more impressive than just pop, 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 pop with a jab, because when you get popped, it becomes a problem. And so for Xiaom, the next step is going to be, okay, I am jabbing, now let's use this to set up other combinations. Whether it be leg kicks, like we saw Israel Adesanya do tonight, or whether it be some more hooks, or just putting combinations together, there was a long time in this sport where the jab was the most underutilized weapon. And I, I think we've come around on that for the most part. There's still some guys who don't do it, but those guys generally suck. With the, the next step is now, okay, we've established, some of y'all can jab, that's great. Now, use it to set things up because that's the point of it. A, a just a strictly jab-based offense will get you 29-28 scorecards for the rest of your life. Something needs to follow that, and I think that's kind of the next step. Also, another trap that we kind of fall into a little bit, the commentators love the calf kicks. But again, when someone's kicking someone in the calf and then that person's getting punched in the head, the head puncher is winning that round Generally, there are certainly ex um, certainly examples where that is not the case, but overall, you're going to, to tend to favor the head strikes and the, the more significant strikes compared to those of the, the leg kicks. But the commentators are going to really focus on the leg kicks. And so they're talking about, oh, well, that might have been around one. It's like, really? Because it, it didn't seem all that close. But that tends to shift the narrative. So one thing I, I would suggest doing is on some of these fights that seem kind of close, if you go back and rewatch them, if, that, if that's kind of your jam, do it with the commentary off. And, and you will see uh, sometimes how much the commentary can shape your, shape your opinion. I even said to my wife tonight, I think it was in the Davis fight, she said, who do you have? Well, I have Kian Zod, but they're talking so much about Davis. Like, I, I don't I don't have the confidence in my conviction to go against how aggressively they are suggesting this. So just be aware when you're watching these fights and you're scoring them on Twitter and you're assessing them afterwards, if if you so choose. If you don't, I, I'm not telling you go back and rewatch six hours of fighting. Like, we're on, it's almost midnight because how late this thing went. If you don't want to go back and watch all these fights on mute... I'm not going to blame you, but you do sometimes get a better sense of it. There is good commentary that can help provide, uh, pardon the pun because of the job, but that can help provide color and, and help you kind of understand things a little bit. But it, it is just human nature that sometimes these things can sway opinions a little bit. And I, I thought they were doing that a, a little bit too much tonight. There, there was a couple issues with the commentary this evening. I, I thought there was a couple of times they could have expressed like they, they were talking about the 10-8 rounds and it's like oh well the judging criteria has changed so that might have been a 10-8 round explain that more don't just say oh yeah well there was a change so maybe it's a 10-8 round like this isn't the joe rogan experience where like his mma show with brendan Schaub, where anyone watching is going to be a hardcore mma fan you, you have casuals turning into this this is an opportunity to learn some people on some things do it help that I learned so much about the sport in the early days of the UFC, just listening to Joe Rogan's commentary um, and ignoring a lot of Mike Goldberg's. But it, that there is some teaching that goes on, but for the most part, it's just a, so what is the deal with this? Oh, okay. It's like, no, elaborate on this more. Teach us a little bit more about it. Um, I thought the commentary was a little bit better. It didn't dive into the jokiness as much as it does with, with Daniel Cormier on a lot of the times. And I thought Paul Felder was really, really good. And I think Rogan has been slipping for the last little while, but th there is still some technical analysis with him that is, is quite good. But overall, again, a really, really fun night of fights. And 
when you look at how things set up now, like you could potentially do a stadium show with Israel Adesanya. And I, I don't know the metrics on how this fight done did in Mexico, but I'm going to suggest that you could probably do a pretty big fight card in Mexico City if you put Brandon Moreno and Alexa Grasso on it. I know they did that a while ago. I think you could run that one back once we're able to do those sorts of things again. Um, I, I think you have another potential title challenger in Leon Edwards. You have a forever main eventer in Nate Diaz. So overall, a very, very fun night. And now the countdown is on. July 10th, Conor McGregor takes on Dustin Poirier once again. Cannot wait for that. That's going to conclude the podcast portion of this. If you're looking for more in-depth breakdowns with actual notes, uh, that will be coming up on Monday and then again on Friday. We have a big surprise planned for Friday. I cannot wait for this. Um, yeah, I'm not going to say what it is yet because we, we've thought it's going to happen for a couple of months and it hasn't yet. And now I might and I'm excited. Um, so that's potentially coming up on Friday, that thing that I'm being very vague about. Uh, also coming up tomorrow it is WWE NXT in your house, um, NXT TakeOver in your house, Fatal Five-Way for the NXT Championship. Um, there's a, it's going to be a really, really fun night. So we're probably going to do another reaction Twitch slash podcast for that. So if you're listening on the podcast, you'll probably notice there's only a couple of seconds left, so you won't be listening anymore. If you are watching on Twitch, going to hang out and try to beat fucking Cactus Jack. Uh, so yes, podcast listeners, I bid you adieu.